Hello and welcome to the firm Clark Jeffers and Co. podcast. This evening we're discussing cybercrime, cybersecurity, the danger posed to all Irish businesses. And to assist me with this, what I have to say is a bit of a nightmare topic, I'm joined by Anthony O'Leary, Managing Director of O'Leary Insurances. Brian O'Mara, also of O'Leary Insurances, Account Executive in Charge of Financial Lines. And Ronan Lupton, BL, uh, Barrister Practicing and Specialising in the area of IP, Media and Cyber Law. Gents, you're all very welcome. Thank you. Ronan, uh, I might go to you uh, first. I heard a great quote. I went to a um, talk on cybersecurity uh, for businesses in Ireland, and the key speaker opened up with the following. He said, the room can be split into two groups, those who have been hacked and those who have been hacked but don't know it. Yeah. Must be a huge problem in Irish business. And you must see it in the four courts, do you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a number of... Uh, number of d- different ways I can use to exemplify how bad the problem is, but one um, particular case I was involved in directly was where a telephone company took an action against a business for the recovery of what they had classified as a debt. The debt was about €30,000, and they said, you haven't paid your bills, ladies and gentlemen, of the defendant company, and you should have paid your bills. And of course, what had happened was that the telephone system that the telephone company's client was operating had been hacked. Now, it wasn't quite as sophisticated as a cyber hack, but it was a telephone hack. And the hackers had got into the voicemail system, dialed, I think, four zeros in the hash key, which I'm not giving away as any secrets. It was simply there was no password protection on the voicemail system. Um, And they managed to route premium rate telephone calls through the PABX, or the the actual phone system that was being used, and rack up that €30,000. So when the accountant within the... um, telephone uh, company's customer's account uh, accounts department uh, reckons the bills she said well this 30 grand isn't um, traffic that we're used to seeing on uh, regular um, I suppose uh, uh, times or on a monthly basis so um, effectively there was an action brought in contract and the court ended up throwing out the uh, case because there was no benefit to the defendant person who was being sued by the telephone company um, in terms of the calls that had gone through. So suddenly someone is left with this €30,000 uh, bill and you know nowhere to go with it. Um, so that's one of the main challenges we see, I suppose, in, in the four courts uh, or in the general courts from time to time. And it's just what I was directly involved in. But we do, I mean, that's not a new story. I mean, no. you know, we've all heard of the person who goes away uh, simply on holidays yeah. and racks up a huge uh, amount of bills. But I suppose it's, it's the ever-increasing and worrying trend of people whose phones are being hacked, mm. um, whose computers are being hacked, etc. I mean, Anthony, I'm sure back in the day over the last five years, your firm must get lots of calls. You know, are we covered under house insurance for our credit card loss? Are we covered for this and that? Well, Victor, we do. Uh, and, it, and as Roland's example, example is very interesting in that we cite slightly smaller version of exactly the same scenario with a doctor's surgery, again with a with a, a, a phone number that wasn't being used and again hacked and a, a 450 average quarterly bill was 8,500. Yeah. That has, is happening so frequently as to be scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you say, the uh, the incidence of, of, of people uh, having criminals effectively because now they don't have to hold people up at gunpoint or uh, sell drugs, they can literally sit on the beach and play with their uh, their computers and send out thousands 
of, of emails to various places um, and uh, their, their risk of being detected is, is dramatically, dramatically lower. And uh, the rewards can be much nicer, thank you very much, with the sun coming down on top of you. Yeah, indeed, and very little chance of being shot by armed police trying to affect a, a bank raid. Exactly. I mean, in terms of the sophistication of Brian, you know, you are in O'Leary Insurances and, and we'll speak about the policy that you guys are rolling out at the moment, but obviously you've, you've had a lot of experience uh, with viewing the type of scams. And I see the sophistication that's growing is, is incredible because... It's not that long ago that apparently I was related to the king of Nigeria. Yeah. And, <laughs> and apparently I was in line for a very hefty windfall, which was all very exciting. Uh, nowadays, the scams are much more sophisticated, aren't they? Have you come across any of these? Yeah, we have. We've come across uh, quite a few from talking to our clients. Um, it, it's moved on quite a lot, as you say. So uh, the, the correspondence our clients are receiving uh, are more legitimate looking now than ever mm. before. Um, the follow-up they're receiving is quite legitimate. We talked about an example where, um, you know, someone got a phone call and it genuinely looked like the bank's number was calling them. Um, the bank could tell, the, or the person who was uh, pretending to be the bank could tell them some of their last transactions. Um, so the, the level of sophistication is quite there. They knew when to ring when it was just the bookkeeper in the office, um, versus when everyone else in the office, the bookkeeper keeper could double check with someone. Mm. So. Yeah, it's moved on quite a lot and we are seeing that and, and they, they keep evolving. That's the, the kind of underlying thing as well. It's, like you say, moved on very much from the Prince of Nigeria too. Well, let's, let's look at some of this evolution. I mean, Ronan, I might, I might just ask you, I, I, when I was researching this, I went through a couple of different types of internet scams, if you like, nowadays. And they all have uh, very fancy names. And I might yeah. ask you just to give us a very brief synopsis on some of these. But we've got identity theft. Yeah, I mean, it's very straightforward where people's... I mean, one of, the, one of the prime examples is the use of um, people's uh, Twitter handles or other handles or even login ident- uh, identities. Um, it's extremely prevalent to the extent where um, what we've seen is, I haven't statistics with me tonight, but we've seen an upturn thank in reports. God. Uh, thank God, exactly. Uh, we've seen an upturn in reports of people um, having to go to service providers and hosts and say, someone is masquerading as me on the internet. I am not even on this particular platform at all. Please take down um, the, uh, the the username. Um, now it, it can be far more sophisticated than that. But you can imagine if someone with a public persona um, was being um, sort of uh, uh, faked or uh, scammed on the internet in that manner and their identity effectively is being um, utilised for various reasons. And most of the time it's propaganda. Uh, but it can be, in fact, um, more detailed where someone will go to a financial institution or somewhere else and purport to be that person. And it's up to the institution or um, person they're trying to transact with to have the security measures in place to stop that happening. And that's one example at the moment. Um, I suppose another one, just to to, to continue, would be purporting to be a state agency. And one of the main um, issues in terms of phishing, I think, is probably another uh, uh, word you would hear in relation to this type of area, is where an email was going around from the revenue. We have a refund for you. Please enter your credit card details and the three-digit code plus expiration and we'll refund you the money. Now, the revenue were alive to this, but this scam comes up every so often. Um, also, if you take a little bit of time to look in your, your spam filters, you'll find possibly some emails from what um, senders that are purported to be banks, such as AIB and mm-hmm. Bank of Ireland and so forth. Now, I've gone through a few there, Victor, so I hope I haven't taken no. away from your list. No, no, but well, phishing was, them, was, was definitely next on the mm-hmm. list, but, but there's another one then, which yeah. is phishing, is it? It's spelt with a V instead of an F, 
which, as I understand it, is voice messaging now yeah. on, on internet. Um, and that is becoming more prevalent also. I haven't any direct experience with vishing uh, myself, but I, I have uh, only sort of, I suppose, read read about it. Um, and again, it's, it's something that's becoming more and more prevalent. But back to the, I suppose, concept of the voice type of fraud that can occur, um, getting a mobile phone call from a number you don't recognize or a private number, a blocked number, and giving information out to anybody who calls, even if they are bona fide, um, is a dangerous thing. Um, usually they can say to you, uh, I have a reason to be calling you. It's not simply a random phone call. Um, and people are getting caught by that regularly uh, on the internet. So I'm not so sure it fits the vishing uh, model, but certainly it is something that um, people are getting caught with from time to time, including businesses. I suppose scams have been around for hundreds of years, and the, the, the concept of if it's too good to be true, it usually is, hasn't changed in all that period. Um, well, I, know that, I, I don't want to give no away... consolation. Yeah, I don't want to give away your age here now, Anthony, but you, it, and, it, and it's not that scams have been around for hundreds of years, but scams have definitely been around since the 70s, because... Well, yes, I, I recalled earlier uh, going to UCC in 1974 and first year computer science. Um, half a dozen lads managed to change. In those days, the banks had... Uh, Using, were using the mainframe of the university because that's where the computer was based and they managed to switch the salary of the bank manager and the janitor. As you can imagine, that didn't go down at all well. Um, and, you know, just a minor item that this type of thing, it was possible to get involved in, in playing around electronically way back then. But I suppose the difference is, um, and uh, not maybe for the bank manager, but that type of cable was in jest and... You know, it's it's all meant to be a little bit of good humour and possibly uh, fingers to the, the the cause, if you like, from students. But in terms of the uber uh, viable money making machine that is internet fraud nowadays, I mean, next on my little list of scary items here is a thing called farming, which I understand is uh, where you're re- redirected to a fake website, for example, to harvest information and. I recently had had this um, where I was told that I had uh, some credits on iTunes and I looked at the iTunes website and it looked absolutely kosher. The only issue was I hadn't purchased what they had said I'd purchased and and that maybe alerted me to it. But Brian, in terms of, I mean, it must be an interesting one from an insurance point of view. You guys are always obsessed with liability and, you know, negligence and who's right and who's wrong. You know... It must be very difficult for people who are tricked into, for example, parting with information like this and maybe who aren't provided with uh, with cover or who aren't given much sympathy by the banks. Say, for example, on, on credit cards. Um, do you have any people ringing you asking about, you know, I've had money stolen from my credit card. Um, is there any way I can get insurance, etc.? Yeah, we have clients ringing up from time to time. And I mean, the, the, the long and the short of it, I suppose a lot of them wouldn't even know to ring us about it. They just presume mm-hmm. it's not covered. Um, and in, in many cases, it's not. Now, a few of them are investigating, can I get it under such and such policy, which you uh, vaguely touched on earlier. Um, look, the answer at the moment is, when we're talking to them, there is some elements of cover. For example, we had a solicitor defrauded out of uh, €40,000, basically, without getting too much into it. He had a benefactor, sole benefactor of the will, was all the way in Australia, so contacted him by email. Email account had been hacked. The hackers monitored the conversation. It came time to transfer the monies. And the hackers came back from, instead of, let's say, for example, bomara at oli.ie, they came back from b.omara at oli.ie. So you wouldn't see the, the difference uh, on the email chain. Came back from that email address, passed on their details, 
40k went off into the ether. Um, there was an element of cover under that person's one of their office policies. They were very lucky; they had a very good wording, mm. and you can be fairly sure the next time that wording is updated, that element of cover probably won't be there. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting, I suppose, when you talk about wording because um, just on the credit card thing, and we will get more into the business side of, of matters for for business professionals in a moment. But just in terms of the credit card, I, I took the uh, I took the time to look at AIB's terms and conditions on its standard Mastercard, primarily because I have an AIB Mastercard. And what they say is that the overall limit in terms of cyber theft and security, etc., will be 75 euros. So that's the worst that you can lose no matter how much they steal. Mm-hmm. But as banks are good at doing this, there's a little but. And that but is, provided you're not negligent or stupid or whatever it is in relation to the handling of your card. Now, I'm going to have to direct this one to you, Ron. Mm-hmm. If I fall for one of these phishing scams or vishing scams or farming scams or king of Nigeria scams or whatever it may be, I presume that it'd be a negligent handling of my card, would it? I think it depends on the nature of the scam. I mean, the simplest scam at the moment, and I've got caught with it myself, and I'm definitely not negligent with my ATM or my Visa debit cards. And that's your official simple, policy to your bank? That's my official yeah. policy okay. to my bank, um, <laughs> is the issue of um, simply putting cameras on ATM machines um, having a card reader at the mouth of the ATM, which scans the electronic strip or, or magnetic strip, even, and then they can have chip um, readers as well. Um, they then have a camera at the uh, keypad and are able to access your account. I was um, uh, my account was stripped of about twelve hundred euro um, after a trip to Lanzarote. So that's a very sort of um, personal example uh, in relation to it. But I think the likes of the um, lottery uh, from Nigeria or wherever it happens to be um, on the face of the email if you get that and you're silly enough to give over your bank account details um, one would have thought that uh, the level of contributory, neg- contributory um, negligence or contributory factors within that type of transaction would be extremely high against you and possibly held against you mm-hmm. um, in terms of the bank covering um, the liability and actually complying with that term of you know we will cover everything up to maybe 70 or 80 uh, euros so I think much turns on the type of scam um, that you're caught by. Um, but I think in, in, in the circumstances, you've just to be so careful nowadays in terms of what you do. Um, the type of um, analysis that Victor carried out, I guess, in relation to the iTunes scandal, it's fairly obvious that you haven't bought Peppa Pig if you haven't got a young child um, or you haven't bought a Sex Pistols uh, album, for example. So you know, things are quite obvious if you stop and look at them. But I, I think in this day and age, you are we inclined to just tap the button on your phone to upgrade to the next version or to say oh yes I'll take that what do I need to do oh, I need to input my credit card details but if you stop and think before you do that um, you do limit perhaps and in fact I think in reality you do limit the liability that you're going to um, have to hold uh, if you proceed with that transaction but if you get caught in something that's relatively covert the people who uh, fund insurance policies and also banking and credit institutions are likely to step into the breach and give you some level of protection but outside of that I think if you're silly in how you transact I mean data as a commodity is really the summary for this discussion isn't that right because if data wasn't a commodity there would be no real need for us to you know as lawyers and as professionals to get into this type of um, area because effectively um, everything we do is uh, uh, online, even if you try and avoid it, you you, you just can't. Yeah. It's as simple as that. You can't go into a bank anymore and fill out a lodgement slip. They want you to use your cards. They want you to do everything you know, through the machine interface, and it just 
leaves things open to risk. But it's interesting that you say that in terms of negligence and liability, and it, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word silly. I mean, I, we mm. don't accuse anybody of being silly for, for falling for a scam. It can happen to anybody. But just in terms of the level of awareness, and you, you've hit the nail on the head by saying people are too quick to react to their phones and tap the button, etc., I did see um, a Eurobarometer uh, survey issued by BH Consulting in Dublin, and I'm a big fan of BH Consulting. They've done a lot of work for us on, on cyber cases. They're great guys. But just, and while statistics are generally banned off this podcast, and I had a joke at you, Ronan, about <laughs> this earlier, just really because of, in terms of hammering home the point, 57%, get this, 57% of Irish people admit to opening emails from people they don't know. 26% of Irish internet users change their passwords regularly, so only a quarter. 75% of Irish people surveyed used the same password across all their online devices. Now, the sound engineer is smiling at me because I am one of those idiots, but I'm not as a front tonight, I won't be. But when you look at that, and then you try and assess liability, and let's say it's a serious breach. I mean, Anthony, let's say we're not talking €150 Euros here. Let's say we're talking... the. Your, the guts of your account, 10 grand, 15 grand, 20 grand, 100 grand, whatever it is. Surely in underwriters, who, who's, I often say, whose job is to make sure that they don't have to pay out for the insurance company, maybe that's a little cynical, but they're going to look at these statistics, they're going to look at the individual and they're going to say, that's not proper handling of your account. Well, very much so, Victor. I, I, you, at the same time, you have to sympathise with people who in the age we live in, are faced with having to have a, a, a username and a, and, a, and a password for so many different devices, and they might say, okay, look, I'll, I'll have three or four different uh, passwords. Uh, where will I keep them? Um, it, it, it's just such a minefield for people to, mm. to, to, to manage all of this. I think the credit card companies are, have been the most helpful because they seem to be the ones that do ring up the most to say, we think you've we've a problem here. Um, personally, I feel reassured when you get a call like that or, or an instruction to, to contact them. There again, I'm getting the instruction to contact whom? Mm. It could be the criminal. <laughs> it'll make us all more, more diligent. Yeah. To go back to, to, your, to answer your question, I mean, the, the key with any insurance policy is to, when you're taking it out, have to answer the fewest questions possible be they on paper or electronically, so that afterwards somebody can say, oh, you didn't, somebody cannot say you didn't do X, Y, or Z. Um, and we put a lot of work into, into, you know, we don't purport to have all the answers in terms of, of data or cyber insurance, and they should never, it's not the first port of call, nor is it the silver bullet that's going to solve it. So if you have an, an insurer who's asking, um, you know, do you encrypt data, do you have proper antivirus software? Do you have firewalls? Do you regularly do backups? Well, they expect the answers to those questions to be in the affirmative. And if that's the case, they have a reasonable chance, a reasonable prospect that you, in fact, are not an idiot and that you are trying your very best in terms of risk management regimes and protocols to, to, that you're going to be a risk that they'd like to take on. Sure. I mean, it's, it, it is interesting to see that um, statistically, cybercrime has doubled since 2011. And I'm presuming, uh, given the policy that all your insurances are rolling out now at the moment, and, and this is what I wanted to discuss with you guys, I presume it is this it's this huge swell of cybercrime that's coming that has alerted you to, you know, the necessity for such a policy. Is that correct? Yeah, we saw it from our own clients first. Um, we have some good examples like the one I mentioned earlier. Um, so that, that was the, the big driver initially. 
uh, we would deal with a lot of clients who have, hold on to a lot of client funds. Um, so Brian, just just I suppose for clarity, solicitors obviously, we've solicitors, accounts, accountants, um, anyone like that, like estate agents, agents, yeah, yeah correct. okay. Um, so we would have a lot of clients uh, who would have a lot of client funds. So that was the big concern originally. Um, and then we had to go out there and find a product that actually offered to cover. Well, why is like it's important, I suppose, that we look at this and say why is that a concern? I mean, okay, from a solicitor's point of view, and I'm sure if it applies to solicitors, and Ronan will be looking in your direction fairly shortly on this one. But I presume if it applies to solicitors, it probably applies to most professionals that are holding clients' funds. But the Law Society of Ireland, in terms of its own members, solicitors issued a very strong statement, um, which said that if there's a deficit in a client account. Um, the deficit is the responsibility of the partners of that client account. So should a solicitor wake up on a sunny Monday morning like this morning and realise that there's 250000 missing from his client funds account, he's got a lot of bad news, doesn't he? I mean, firstly, he's responsible for it. But Brian, we had an interesting chat. It's not just the money that's stolen that costs the person who's been the subject of this type of crime. There are other associated costs, aren't there? The people affected by the crime. Yeah. So yeah. say, for example, I wake up, my client account is gone, 250000 I've definitely got to f- pay that 250000 Yeah. But there are other costs, PR, writing to clients, regulatory. Yeah, true. I mean, look, the whole thing uh, the whole thing would involve, first of all, you have to go back in time and find out exactly what happened. So bring in your IT people, okay. be they in-house or an external. Uh, so you're going backwards in time, get to the root of it and stop it getting any worse. Then you go back and establish, well, what was the loss? Um, and that might take some time too. It's not initially uh, obvious. So sometimes you hear about these data breaches and they'll give you a figure of X million files affected, but it grows over time. Mm. Uh, it might take a while to get to that stage and then down the line you actually, or all the time you're losing profits um, because you've you know directors and key staff involved in sorting this out. You've, you've damaged your reputation. So down the line you might want to notify your clients or employees that there has been a breach or something has gone wrong. Um, and you might be incurring costs, so you might want to hire public relations firms. So it's all, I mean, when we talk about this product, it is quite a broad beginning to end cover rather than just the actual loss that's happened. So a policy then, for example, aimed at a professional holding insurance like this, I, as a, I keep picking myself, I'm a solicitor. If I get this policy, it covers potentially, and presuming I've complied with my terms of policy, it covers the loss yeah. up to whatever I'm insured to cover. But... Does it does it cover, for example, if I want to uh, hire a PR firm to issue a press statement, for example? Yeah, there will be. Um, well, depending on the policy cover, it goes from a very basic cover for just the, the loss and a small bit around that to the best policies will have cover for PR consultants. Okay, but it but it can be got. It absolutely can. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and Anthony, would a would a policy like this be suitable to other professionals such as uh, accountants or auctioneers or letting agents or any individuals who hold client funds? Well, yes, and and the other side of it is that because we, we were talking about the princes in Nigeria and the criminal element for quite a while, but the thing to realise is that you can also have accidental uh, occurrences where an employee pushes a button, or don't be blaming the employee, the director pushes the button and sends client details to a number of places uh, where they shouldn't have gone, um, or deletes them, Um the interesting thing is that there are countries in the world where it is mandatory for you to advise all your clients that you've had a data breach. Uh, that's particularly in the US at the moment and Australia. Um, it's not mandatory in the EU, although reading 
the, the, the tea leaves, or rather more than the tea leaves, we're told that in 2017 it will become mandatory across the EU to notify uh, the data commissioner and your clients if you have had a data breach. So if I, if I have 2,000 clients, I have to write to 2,000 individuals, inform, assuming in 2017 this comes to pass, which, as you say, the tea leaves are pretty accurate on. Um, Correct. And that, that and, must be a huge and the, the, from, from a very, very reliable survey, it is uh, shown that it's €137 Euro per file to notify and adequately deal with the, 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 the data breach on the same. So uh, you're 2,000 by 137 quarter is, is a quarter of a million. That's just to notify the clients, so that's not to deal with the actual loss. So that's just so, telling them, so finding out what's happened and telling yeah. who it's happened. So or, 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 or the fine that you'll get from the, the, the data commission okay. uh, and or any client who is sufficiently cheesed off with you that he decides you have a, a case to answer in court for uh, sending his his personal private and really uh, oh sorry. sensitive. Sorry, sorry. I mean, we're, yes. we're thinking Ashley Madison well, stuff here, whatever. Now, <laughs> which which brings me which brings me neatly into the I next. Know, point. I know you didn't go, want to go through that. Because. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I said I'd stay away from that one, but I, it brings me into the next point because it's not just. I mean, we're speaking about waking up and seeing money gone out of your client account or your own personal account or whatever it is, but but there are far more vicious forms of of cyber theft and and that is cyber ransom. Ronan, you know, the yeah. likes of Ashley Madison. Well, the Ashley Madison um, was a particularly acute example of where um, a database and the information from the database was hacked, stolen, and then I suppose harvested is the correct expression. Um, and people were, um, I think they were, in fact, held to ransom in terms of their um, private information being used. And for those of you who don't know, the Ashley Madison website was a, a, a sort of, uh, I'm going to use the expression swinging, but I think it was a dating website for those who were already in relationships. So the sensitivity around the information held on that website was obviously extremely acute, um, as opposed to being cute. Uh, and where, where, what, we, what we find with that is obviously um, a couple of things, I suppose. Firstly, people's information was input into the website for nefarious purposes, and people's names came out in the uh, later disclosed list of uh, subscribers that weren't accurate. Some people were subscribers and we're very upset to have their information disclosed. But I think in reality, where we need to go with this type of activity is down the criminal law route. And so not only are we talking about civil costs of um, shoring up what the loss was, helping with your reputation by hiring a PR firm and, and gauging what the loss in fact is, but it's also about reporting to the law enforcement authorities. And one major issue I have with this particular great country we live in is that the uh, resources given to Angarda Shakona to investigate computer crime are far behind um, most other countries in the world, never mind in Europe. Um, yes, they do focus on paedophilia and uh, child content crimes because they are the worst. Um, but that said, we also need to focus on the protection of business and protection, protection of industry. And I'm not belittling what I said about the other crimes, of course. Um, but I do think we are I th far behind where we need to be. And one issue Anthony mentioned earlier on made me think of the uh, condition that is forgetting your verified by visa password when you're rushing to book concert tickets most people forget it mm. and the website looks like a website that doesn't fit yeah. in the context of what you're um trying to book on so suddenly it pops up and you go oh god what's my verified by visa password and you look at it and you go is this a scam 
Because it doesn't. There's nothing to say. We're going to direct you to verify by visa, and if it is there, it's in the very small print. So often, I think efforts uh, to to make things operate in a correct manner are are forgotten um, and perhaps not wrap, wrapped and packaged the way they should be. Um, but I do think again back to this issue of the criminal uh, criminal enforcement. Data is. Um, codified within the criminal law. I'm not going to give you the chapter and verse on the sections, but it is there. So not only in the civil sense is it a commodity that's worth money, but it also um, is worthy of investigation if a breach happens. Um, one of the most uh, newsworthy, another newsworthy case which um, people are aware of was this issue of a, a US judge issuing a um, subpoena for information held on Irish servers by the company Microsoft. And that would have created a liability for the directors of Microsoft in Ireland if they'd handed that information over without using or applying for an Irish court order. So Anthony raised that issue earlier on. So there would have been director liability, company liability, and potential criminal sanction and fine. So that, that's trundling its way through. I think it's going to the Federal, federal appeal, Appeals Court and may go to the US Supreme Court uh, as a matter of review. But that's where two... Um, uh, court processes and procedures don't don't um, match correctly, and as we as we've seen recently, the safe harbour provisions have been set aside by the European courts. So the issue of data is very much up in the air, but it's how the data and I suppose jurisdictional um, rules interoperate uh, remains to be seen. Um, well, just on data, and I want to be careful here because. Clark Jeffers are big exponents of the small to medium sized enterprise sure. and I don't want to give the impression that we're only speaking about the hugest of huge corporations Absolutely not. in terms of data and this is an important point Ronan in terms of data and what can be stolen let's take a small operator in a local town like an auctioneer hmm. he has all his clients and arm codes on his system assuming he wakes up and his data has been captured is he liable does he have to tell the guards he would be possibly quite silly if he didn't um, for the protection of his own, um, uh, I suppose, self and his, the safety of his um, employees and his buildings if somebody local had procured the um, the data, if you know what I mean. Um, there's a friend of mine who operates in Carlo, operates a global business and has a lot of data both in Carlo but also on servers um, around the country and in other European locations. And I can say for as a matter of fact, that if there was uh, hacking or denial of service attacks, not quite the same thing, but certainly if there was a hacking um, undertaken on that particular business, and it's a small to medium enterprise, that there would be serious implications because the Data Protection Commission would have to be notified and the guardie. There's no doubt about it. And I I'm pretty sure uh, that computer forensics would have to be um, uh, entered into and procured in order to find out you know, precisely what happened. So it's not necessarily, a, a Victor's right to stop me talking about the Microsofts because you are spot on. But even the smaller enterprises and so traders like barristers working remotely um, can be affected in the same way as large businesses. It, it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all at all. But we, we had this conversation actually, Brian, some time back, which is a lot of small operators have a fear of admitting that they have been hacked because a, people in the locality might not trust them anymore. Oh gosh, those lads, their cyber security is not up to date. Or it might reflect really badly on their business. Or they might hold sensitive information about local clients and suddenly those local clients are running for cover and trying to take their files. And this has to be a huge deterrent for small businesses, um, you know, to come forward and say, look, this has happened to us. Why would they want to go to the data protection commissioner? Is that what you mean? Well, yeah, exactly. Or, or do you think if they had an insurance policy, they'd even claim on it? Um... I presume they would. I mean, to go back to the 
the data commissioner, mm. they're quite proactive here as opposed to other countries. They're more interested in helping you and stopping it getting any worse. Okay. Um, they're not; a, they don't penalise you as much as they do in other jurisdictions. As from from my talking to them anyway, uh, only in very rare cases where it's really badly uh, dealt with internally, the security around data and things like that. Um, well, let's let's just take two two minutes then, uh, Anthony, I, I, because I think it's really important that we look at the product that's being rolled out to assist small business, not just small businesses, but but any size of business in Ireland, which is this concept of obtaining uh, insurance for cyber crime and, and cyber terrorism, if you like, nowadays, because any individual who says, "Well, my business isn't big enough to be uh, hacked, or my business isn't valuable enough to be stolen." are probably in, would it be fair to say, in denial? Well, I suppose, to, yes, to an extent. I mean, as I say, we started this journey regarding the, the area of is there an insurance product that will protect our clients, um, it, you know, from data breach, electronic loss, etc. Um, and as I say, it's been a journey of, I don't know, I suppose we're 12 months down the journey at this point in time, at the outset, we were met with uh, insurers who were very keen to be helpful and who would sell us a policy to deal with data breach and separately a policy to deal with the crime element of being scammed for your money or your, uh, using the solicitor example, your client accounts um, or, or the firm's the firm's account. And it was uh, a bit anathema to, to us, to be honest, to be, to be dealing with two products where... You know, we figure this is an electronic issue. Can we not bind the the, the two together, which we've succeeded in doing, and um, therefore are in a position to deal with a product that we can sell to people that will deal with the uh, the consequences consequences of a data breach, and uh, the consequence be they both accidental, which is what most data breaches are, and also criminal, and also the the uh, the the criminal interfering with your client account and your own account. Add to that the uh, you know the type of things that we can get on on various multimedia uh, areas, multimedia sites. Add to that things like the uh, court attendance, crisis crisis communications using PR. It's very interesting when you do read the newspapers as to you know who's had a, a serious data problem. You'll all you'll nearly always recognize the ones that have, have been clever and perhaps have had insurance because they've had PR to deal with the breach in that it's been dealt with uh, you know in a, in a methodic and and a sort of a correct fashion as against the organizations who haven't who are kind of all over the place yeah. it's, almost, it's almost like positive marketing and advertising for them at that point almost yes key yeah and then Brian in terms of a policy like this because I know that when I was dealing with this and I began speaking to you uh, the firm decided to put this policy in place we think it's a really good idea but in terms of I mean what are costs are the costs on this prohibitive are they allowable what, you know what, what are the costs for something like this it's it's relatively inexpensive um, against other insurance policies at the moment I mean you can start covering the hundreds of euros okay. um, you do get what you pay for that's probably the key it's you have to bear in mind just to take it back it's a relatively new product and it's evolving the whole time so you do need someone uh, you need to trust that your broker knows what they're talking about. Make sure they know what they're talking about, um, because you can buy a policy. I've seen flyers for policies for four or five hundred euros. They really aren't that great, and they mightn't be fit for purpose for a lot of our clients. Versus paying, we'll say, a thousand euros, where you can get a fit for purpose policy 
pays the claim that you want it to pay if it's needed. Um, so you have to be careful around that. Sure. I mean, it's it's been interesting. I've obviously spoken to a lot of solicitors, accountants and auctioneers, just as a, as a threefold group. And I've asked them all about cybersecurity. And most of my colleagues and most of the people I've spoken to have said that they're pretty sure they're covered under their professional indemnity insurance. Now, I see Ronan um, smiling, not in a happy way, but in, in, in more of a painful grimace. Uh, yeah. In the sense that professional indemnity, Ronan, is really, as I explained it earlier, earlier when we were having the off-air chat, it really only covers you when your mouth is moving and you're giving advice as opposed exactly. to something external. Is that right? Usually, yes. I mean, the professional um, classes would only have coverage for, you know, day to day, as Victor says, the mouth moving um, arrangement. So I think professionals should be looking in more detail um, to their insurance instruments to see that, or just to, to find out whether or not there is cover. Because it's too late um, if the data that you um, are processing or controlling, let's use the legal definitions, is, is accessed. Whether it be, and Anthony makes a good point, often. Um, data breaches can be, in fact, internal. So, unfortunately, it had been staff or somebody accesses a database, pastes it onto an email, and hits send to all with everybody in copy. Not only is there a breach in terms of the, the customer database it's been sent to, but the data that's been sent is also compromised. So that can arise. Um, but again, it's back to looking at what is in the instrument and making sure the cover is there. Certain professions um, won't have a requirement uh, but most will. I mean, particularly those who are trading on on their reputation, such as solicitors, auctioneers, dentists, you know, people like that, because the, the information they, they have is extremely sensitive and can be uh, used both in a civil and criminal context. But one other thing that's very important is that um, you can't sue effectively and get damages for data breaches. There's a duty of care, but we're not at that stage yet where... Um, now, arguably, there should be a remedy, but the remedy isn't there in damages like there would be in a defamation, for example. Um, so that leaves us with a little bit of a vacuum. And there's been some cases in the courts um, where people have tried to, and in fact, in one instance, there was a level of damages stated and that was overturned. So it remains to be seen where we're going to go from a legal point of view with that. But back to Victor's question, I mean, it is really a question of the detail and, and investigating what's there. Because you might find that while, while um, the insurance will go so far, it may not cover that, that issue of the office and uh, what goes on with data. I agree, Ronan. The other, the other sort of key part of it from, from where we are sitting is your professional indemnity policy has an insuring clause which says that it's going to you know, provide you for the consequences of being held legally liable for you know, an error, mm. poor advice, etc. And if you bring that into the context of, the, of, of electronic theft and data breach, etc., you have to go a long way down the road before you're going to be found legally liable. And in the meantime, there's nothing happening about fixing your system, uh, dealing with the fact that clients have left you, the fact that uh, you're, you've got to reinstate data, you've got to deal with the, the data commissioner. So clearly what's required is a bespoke instrument policy to deal with that and not depend on your professional liberty insurance. And the, the solicitor's example is, is, is an excellent one in that solicitor's PI is compulsory in Ireland. Um, so it's the last thing that a solicitor wants to contaminate, if you like, by having a, a, a cyber stroke data breach claim on it. Sure. Because you have no choice. You have to buy the policy again on the 1st of December next year and the year after and the year and after. And it'll be loaded if you're making these other claims. That's your difficulty. I mean, in, in this, with a cyber policy, you know, if it becomes too expensive, you can change the excess dramatically or you can choose not to purchase it. 
you cannot practice as a solicitor in Ireland without professional indemnity insurance. But should it be the case that you, should practice, you shouldn't be allowed to practice in Ireland as a solicitor or any other profession without a cyber um, insurance policy? I mean, it may be that given the way things are changing, um, we're often uh, in the legal profession seen as sitting behind uh, um, old-fashioned writing desks with our quills. But the reality is people want advices and they want them overnight. They want them word process. They want them perfect. Um, that requires getting data, usually sensitive customer data or um, client data, onto your machine, reviewing it, often electronically or in, uh, in hard copy, um, retaining that data for a period of time while you're working on it, and then um, either archiving it or sending it back to, in my case, the solicitor who's briefed me. But the information is on my system for, for a period of time. And I would uh, query whether or not um, I have the requisite cover, for example, um, if, if a data breach happened on my systems. And one would suggest, and it's something I do suggest, in fact, that professional um, indemnity requires this uh, in, in the digital age. Yeah, we're, we're, we are seeing, um, I, I think what we will see is more and more businesses move to it. We are finding clients very receptive of it when we explain what the cover is, and that's the key thing, because they hear cyber insurance and a few of them switch off and go, not really for me, I'm not an IT firm. I'm not big enough. Yeah, exactly. But when you explain it and, and talk to them, talk them through the risks that are out there and what the policy covers and that it's relatively inexpensive, um, they, they suddenly have a bit more interest. And what we're seeing, we'll say with new companies, new startups, they're starting to go, I need a quote for this insurance, this insurance. Oh, yeah, that's cyber as well. I'd like that. Whereas existing companies are a bit slower. They haven't budgeted for a year one, so they don't want to talk mm-hmm. about it. So it might be a two-year process with them where they go, next year we look at it. Sure. Um, but I think in a few years' time, it's going to be part but of their suite of insurances. By analogy, um, when we saw the Enron Worldcom and corporate collapses in America, um, suddenly um, corporate insurance became a big deal for companies. Yeah. All, co- all types of companies, not just the PLCs, but even Table C Companies limited by shares and charities, exactly. And my recollection, um, and it's not that long ago, um, was that the policies for insurance on on those types of arrangements was actually very high. Now, by comparison, I think it's probably maybe nine years later. Um, So so 05, 06 was when they were extremely popular and there was still a lot of sensitivity around corporate misbehavior as opposed to professional uh, misbehavior. Um, Those policies are now extremely... uh, um, I suppose value for money is the way to put yeah, it. Yeah. You can get them for between eight hundred and fifty for really small With companies covers and, and loads yeah, of cover. Yeah. Um, so I wonder, is it something that effectively we'll just see as uh, you know a bolt on to? Well, that's the, it. We don't know where it's going to go in a few yeah. years' time. It could be a bolt on to another policy, or it could stay in the standalone format. Cyber is going to keep changing. It's relatively new. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've rolled out the product for three or four months now. Um, I mean, it, it's a watch this space kind of product. But Brian, isn't it fair to say, and Ronan, you're at the, the cold face of a lot of this, that there are two types of main cyber attack. There are the cyber attacks for greed, because people want to steal money or data, and you write that as a commodity. But there are also the revenge attacks. I mean, we've heard the, the buzzword revenge porn in the yeah. media now. And, um, you know, I when I was researching this, I, I read a, a, an article online where a, a a young uh, adolescent teenager, very young, I think nine or ten, uh, had hacked his teacher's computer and changed the picture to two men kissing in mm-hmm. school as a little bit of revenge for being chastised in whatever way. We see now the, a solicitor in the UK who was acting for a wife in a family law case and was obviously doing a very good job and the husband hacked in and tried to delete all the data on her file and managed to corrupt most of his system. So we now have this 
this danger where as lawyers, Roman, you'll know this, yeah. I mean, we're in an adversarial position. We're fighting with people all the time. How long will it be before those people decide, you know, I'll show this guy? Or what about auctioneers who are acting for receivers? How long will it be before some disgruntled debtor to a bank decides he's going to destroy his data? Or an accountant who is, you know, acting for a bank? Or uh, a, a doctor who won't give out advice on, on a man's teenage daughter's pregnancy situation? How long is it going to be until we see that kind of revenge well i'm all for free speech and i'm also obviously it's a constitutional right built into you know the constitution we, we operate under, under article 46 and i won't make any other references to legislation other than that because i'm lost and, <laughs> uh, sorry 40 40.6 that one the one you know de- dealing with freedom of expression and the right to express yourself freely and and all that and the right to a good name that's balanced with the defamation act of 2009 so if someone disparages your reputation that's one thing um, and you can action that and you can get damages and so on if it goes to court and it's proven. Um, when you're talking about the likes of revenge porn, um, on the one hand, that is the most egregious type of um, character assassination, disparagement and so forth. Where And not only that, it's also a breach of privacy, which is, again is another unenumerated right within the Constitution. And it's possibly, again, the most damaging type of activity that can take effect. I don't think any insurance policy could pay out enough money for someone who's subject to that type of um, uh, activity. It is criminal activity um, and it, it's simply uh, on the sort of high end uh, of, I think, badness um, that someone would do that. I've been involved in a number of cases in recent weeks, in fact, where um, foreign, foreign governments have come to Ireland saying we want to um, get access to server information based on um, online harassment. And in fact, when we, we, did, we drilled into it, it was revenge porn that had been posted. Um, that leads me to back, back to Victor's question. The Irish computer crime and Irish computer law and the legislation that we deal with is way behind again. I, I think I said it earlier on where it needs to be. And we have the data protection regime, which is um, has European genesis. But actually, when you drill into um, the protections that are here in respect of computer-related crime, hacking, denial of service attacks and so forth, we're just not there. It needs to be looked at again. And I'm not talking about um, free speech erosion or anything like that. I'm talking about the actual black and white of how the Gardaí go about um, investigating crimes. Do the crimes we have in the statute book actually fit what's going on in today's uh, online environment? I think the answer is no. I just don't think we're there. Um, I think the last statutory um, sort of provisions that dealt with the, the online uh, area and data areas from 1991 under the Criminal Damage Act. I mean, we need to really look at that as a, as a nation and get back to it because it's not just business, it's everybody uh, who can be subject to, to crime. Um, and is it enough? I, I just think the answer is no um, in relation to, the, to what's there on, 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 the, on the statute books. Okay, well, moving on from the criminal end of it, mm. and Anthony, I want to direct this one to you. Um, insurance companies are absolutely notorious for deciding that no payout will happen until the Garda investigation is complete take for example a warehouse burning down and obviously they're quite right to i mean it could be arson it could be uh, and it could be an insured looking to uh, bring about a premature payment etc but in terms of the policy that's being rolled out now which is a, a cyber security policy which by its very definition is only going to be triggered when there's a criminal event do you foresee the the payment on such a policy being delayed while copious and long investigations take place? Well, first and foremost, Victor, I'll take you back. It is we're not dealing with purely, uh, you know, computer crime. Okay. Uh, don't forget that it's very often the director or the employee who, in error, pushes the button and and scatters uh, 
sensitive information yeah. to the four winds. You know, th- there was no criminal intent there, but there is definitely damage. There's definitely harm done. There's definitely sensitive information sent where it should not be. And the, the, the policy we're talking about and that we're, we're, we're thankfully getting a lot of inquiries about helps people in that situation to deal with, say, hang on a sec, where did this start? What have the consequences been? How can we rectify it? And how can we you know, get on with our lives? You have that element to it. You also have theft of a firm's money or theft of third parties' money. Um, all the insurance company are interested in doing is rectifying that situation. Sure. So quantifying how much of the of your of the Clark Jeffers account has been has had uh, how much money has been removed from it, um, and and uh, getting to a point where you can a quantify it and b pay the claim. Okay. They 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 don't need. To, they're not in the business of, of chasing the criminals. That's for the police to do, and, and they recognise that you know these things take forever and a day to, to uh, you know it's, it, it isn't a question of finding the culprit. Um, thankfully, the insurers uh, that we're dealing with, and it, it was a sort of a, a particular consolation to us, or rather reassurance, was that sixty percent of their business was is, is in the US, which is where. This type of, of, of difficulty has been has been on the go. Cybercrime has been there first for longest, and 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 therefore they have the experience. Yeah, to yeah deal they're with the most experienced. So it's not it isn't just the, the you know the criminal area. The the, the the fat finger trade can have a horrible effect, um, and without necessarily having any criminal background. Yeah, so sorry, Brad. It's it's just it's a it's a real case of um, I'm not big enough to be hacked. But you've got to bear in mind that you could actually be your own hacker by mistake. Uh, in disseminating important data or something that Indeed. causes, yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry, Brian. Yeah. If you um, this this is a bit different to a lot of other uh, losses that clients have, cyber exposures, and um, it's in the insurer's interest to get to the root of it as quick as possible and sort it out as quick as possible because they're getting worse and worse and worse as they go along. The longer it goes on, um, uh, unhindered or you know until they find out what happened and what went wrong. So the insurers are keener <laughs> to get in there quicker. Than it might be for other uh, other policies. Sure. And uh, just as an interesting question, and while we're on about the rollout of your policy, have you? Maybe you don't know the answer, but have you found that there's a larger uptake outside of Dublin or inside of Dublin for the policy? Um, it's fairly national, actually. It's fairly evenly spread at the moment. Now, the reason the reason I ask is I came across an amazing uh, statistic again featured by um, ESET Ireland Limited, very reliable company. And they say that uh, cyber attacks reported across the country, 19% in Dublin, 30% reported in Connacht and Ulster. It's amazing, outside, okay. the, outside the capital. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've, we've certainly found awareness is nationwide yeah. and is not limited to the capital or Cork or Galway. It's, we've, there's some very well-educated people scattered all over our country. We should have known that anyway. Um, but it's not, no, it's not particular to the capital. On that note, Ronan, and given the fact that it is a is a pandemic and not just a, a something that affects Ireland, what advice would you give to uh, people who are people who have businesses? They've got computers, computers at home that they're uh, ordering clothes online. What advice would you give them in terms of cybersecurity? I suppose the first thing is just to be aware of your obligations to your staff, your business, your clients, and the, the greater environment that you're you're operating in. To be aware of what what you need to be aware of protect your information um, if you're in doubt or you believe you've had a data risk or sorry data breach or you're at data risk to report it put the relevant um, provisions in place 
And, um, Sorry, not to cut across you, but report to who? Well, I mean, the Data Protection Commissioner is the starting point if you're a data processor or controller. Um, if you believe you've had a criminal um, act perpetrated against you and you're not 100% sure about it, you could always contact a solicitor to seek legal advice in relation to that. But I would be very quick to go to the Gardaí, particularly if you believe that um, your equipment has been compromised uh, because it's an extremely serious matter, uh, particularly if servers have been uh, um, accessed and copied sure. and so on. And DDoS attacks are not actually... Uh, denial of service attacks is actually what that means. They're not necessarily... Um, uh, the type of attack that people uh, realise until the damage is done to the business because people can't access your services. So if in doubt, I suppose, check it out. A uh, bit of a cliche, but that's the reality of it. And use the facilities that are there um, and provided by the state to um, report uh, and also to monitor and supervise and, also, and then follow up uh, if you have a concern in, in respect of um, breaches. Given all the uh, I's that have to be dotted and T's that have to be crossed, in terms of protecting yourself, and as Roman points out, um, you know, protecting your staff or your customers, if I was looking at this insurance policy, Anthony, what expectations do the insurers have as to the actions that I will take? Well, I think it's it's very nicely put in the statement of fact that they that they present a picture in that, and it's all very common sense. They're act, they're asking, have you got a firewall? Have you got antivirus software? Do you regularly do backups? You know, do you change passwords? All the type of thing that your IT uh, manager or your IT, if it's an external, will tell you you should be looking after on an ongoing basis. Because if you if you that you're halfway there, or probably hopefully more than halfway there, um, if you can answer in the affirmative to, to, to those queries. And I think, Roland, from a practical point of view, should there be a data breach and should a disgruntled client start pointing the finger at you? If you have complied with these things that the insurers are laying out as reasonable grounds or reasonable actions that you should take, you're probably a long way there into justifying your own position in terms of liability and hopefully a good defence if you're sued. I think so. The the, the question really is what steps have you taken? And I think what Anthony has just highlighted, they they are um, sort of rudimentary steps or fundamental steps for IT um, types. But the reality is now it's going to have to be... um, sort of uh, found throughout all uh, aspects and facets of business, not just something that lands on the IT manager's desk to sort out, because customers will be more discerning about how data is kept. I mean, if you do any business with um, small to medium enterprises, often do business with, um, sort of, for example, drugs research, um, the FDA have massive and um, very detailed requirements in terms of what you should and shouldn't have on your on your IT systems. And um, that goes hand in hand with ensuring the liability if something arises um, that causes a breach or a compromise um, within those systems. So I think that um, when you look at it that way, uh, it's it's a no-brainer. Um, yeah, I think if you, I think if you know, in our world, if you can demonstrate that you've behaved as a prudent, uninsured, well, then you've you've crossed the threshold into you know dealing with your matters satisfactorily. Well, certainly it's not, it's not a strict liability situation. It can't be because, as Anthony said earlier, there's no intent or, or reckless. Well, I suppose you could be deemed to be reckless if you fail to take steps on your IT systems, but certainly there's no actual intent in terms of creating the situation uh, um, that people often find themselves in. So in terms of legal actions arising, it would be a, a shame to see somebody sued if they've taken the steps, have the insurance in place, um, and are operating in a manner that... Um, is bona fide and suddenly they are compromised by intelligent hackers or maybe a member of staff has done something that has created the breach I and mean, that would be 
um, somewhat unfortunate. But if the steps are taken, there's no reason why things shouldn't be uh, business I think as usual. What I'm getting from all of this tonight, and, and I know a client of mine who is involved directly in cybersecurity, uh, he's based in the UK, has told me that turning on your computer in the morning is now the same as leaving your wallet on the bus. You are relying on the integrity of everybody who's using your system not to rob you. And, you know, the more efforts you can make, regardless of what size of business you are, every single business, no matter how small, an auctioneer, a dentist, a doctor, a solicitor, uh, a butcher, a greengrocer, no matter how small they are, they're all operating email. We had, uh, we have a note on our system when we're opening a new file that had a client's email address. And up until about 2008, 60% of them could have been blank. Now, they're the first one that gets filled in because a huge amount of clients contact us by email in the first place. So the advice that I'm getting here, both on Ronan's side, is you've got to exercise caution and care. You've got to be reasonable and diligent about how you deal with things. And importantly, you've got to report um, suspect activity. If you feel that you're being a victim of a crime to uh, the guardee, you can seek advice from a solicitor. Um, I'm getting from Anthony's side that you know there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's not just all doom and gloom. The apocalypse is coming and you will be responsible. There's actually a product out there. And best of all, there's a product been fielded by an Irish company such as O'Leary Insurances. Good solid cork man, we won't hold that against you. Um, I noticed that Connacht is not meant, or I noticed that Munster is not mentioned at all in that statistic about people being uh, cyber robbed or cyber crimed. But it is available. Um, you're available at O'LearyInsurances.ie. Um, I'm sure Brian, you're there, uh, Anthony. Anybody who has a query in that regard, particularly in relation to the insurance, this firm has absolutely eaten that insurance policy and it's something that we have in place now and that we will have in place forever and it's something that we advise everybody to take on board. So with that, um, my thanks to Brian and Anthony from O'Leary Insurances. It's been incredibly enlightening, if not a little frightening. And to Ronan, uh, who's been very kind. Ronan, your knowledge of um, IP, media and cyber law is astonishing. And I know that had I not got a rope around your neck this evening, you could have uh, really enlightened us. And hopefully we'll get to that again. Gents, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. Please note that this episode of The Firm does not purport to be legal advice or indeed insurance advice. If you feel that you have been affected by a data breach or you feel that you are in need of insurance cover, then you should seek immediate independent advice. Clark Jeffers and Company Solicitors are experts in the area of cyber law and will be happy to assist anybody who would wish to contact us on www.cjlaw.ie.